Let me get started. Two big quotes. A couple quotes you can live your whole life around. Either one of them, but both of them combined. First one is, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. Angels rejoice when they see a human soul become like Christ in all of life. They are living the fullness of what they were meant to. Another great quote is, life holds but one regret, and that's not having been a saint. When you're in the pine box and they are lowering you into the ground, there's just one thing you could possibly regret, and that is not being like Christ in all of life. Whole, right? In your work life, in your family life, in your relationships, right? In your emotions, in your thoughts, in the, in your, the acts of the will and courage. So that's a, that's a great way to live your life, that way right there. Now, getting there, it's pretty easy to fall into one or two mistakes. This is, it just happens. One is to, to look so far out into the future that you forget that you need to be living right here, right now in the moment. The other mistake you can make is to be living so much in the moment you forget about living in the in, towards the future, what the end goal is in mind. When the Bible talks about living with wisdom, it talks about thinking about both. It talks about living in the moment for today, for eternity, because what you do today does echo into eternity. And so you are to live with that in mind. Every decision that you're making now, you're keeping that end in mind and you're moving towards that. That's why Proverbs defines wisdom this way. The wisdom of the prudent give thought to their ways. They're thinking about what they're doing and why they're doing it and their end goals in line. And so, look, you might have wasted yesterday. You might have wasted all of your yesterdays. But today, today we're going to learn how to make each day count. Today we're going to learn how to take charge of our lives. We're going to learn how to live in the moment for the long game. Great example is Paul the Apostle. You can tell he's describing, he's thinking these thoughts. He's being a prudent, a wise man, a prudent person, because this is, he's thinking about this in his, pardon me, uh, in his life in Acts chapter 20. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Hey, Paul, what do you want? I want to live a life with no regrets. Right? I, I want to make sure that when I die, I'm a saint. I want to live a life that's fully alive, fully the full human experience. Okay, Paul, so how do you plan on doing that? What's your plan? He says this, I discipline my body and make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself might, might not be disqualified for the prize. I discipline my body. I buffet my body. I beat up my physical body and make it a slave. That means I, my soul says to my body, I'm the boss of you. I'm in charge of you. I'm making plans ahead of time. I'm in the, the one in, in the driver's seat. I'm doing this. And so I'm leaving, leaving, living each day for all of eternity. Because listen, what he knows, and some of you understand, there's a spiritual war going on for this ambition in your life. There's a spiritual war, and you are like on the table. And in, as being in the image of God, one of the attributes of God that we have is choice, is freedom. And we choose, and in these choices that we make, it is towards being 
you know, the fullness, the glory of God is the fullness of man, making these steps towards becoming like Christ in all of life or not. And many of these choices, we need to understand, hopefully that's what we're doing today, we're understanding that they're moment by moment because some, many times we're trying to capture this moment for that glory of God. But it's a spiritual war, and the demons, they, they kind of have it easy, honestly. They've, in some respects, they have home court advantage because we are in our bent, we're lazy. We want to do what's the easiest thing, and we are constantly wanting to be distracted, so we stay distracted, and that's what the evil does. If, if, if the evil one can just distract us for an hour, it becomes a day, and the day becomes a week, and the week becomes, well, it just becomes a life, and then we never are fully alive, and we, and we, and we never become a saint. We just live with this, this, this regret. This past summer, I took a class on, well, let me read the class. It's a fancy title. It says, Rebuilding Household, Family, family and Church in an Age of Technology. It was taught by a brilliant man, Andy Crouch, and we had, uh, I brought some of the material back, and the leadership of our church said, oh, you need to help people apply this to their Christian life. Why don't you spend a couple of times in the pulpit and then teach a very application-driven Sunday school for the parents, and we're going to do that. So this is our second sermon. Next week, if you are in the new parents class or the young families class or the parenting teens class, we will be in the auditorium just for next week, and we'll be teaching how to apply some of the material that I learned over uh, the summer at, at, in that graduate class at Regent College. Andy, we, he shared about 11 lectures with us and a very practical application of some of the academic work that we did is in this book called TechWise Family. And we bought a couple hundred of those uh, just because we could get them at a discounted rate and thought you'd want to have them in your hands. They're $8. They're on, in sale in the lobby if you would like. We especially bought them for parents because that's its primary application. When we look at the logo here, the siren's call, the reason we called it that and the design there is uh, very insightful because every rose has its thorns. And when we talk about technology, it is, we need technology. Technology has done wonderful things in the context, if nothing else, our health and well-being, our physical health and well-being. We can do things and, and, and live a, in a lot of ways, physical, you know, limited physical suffering and just surgeries and keeping us alive and that sort of thing. But the power of technology, the thorns there, is its power to distract us to keep us off our cause, our mission, to become like Christ in all of life. And just like the original, the siren's call, Odysseus, he has to go by those sirens to get home. We have to use technology these days. It's a good thing. But what Odysseus did is he plugged the ears of his men and he tied, had, him held, had himself tied to the mast of the ship because he knew the power of the siren's call. And so what he did, what he did is he chose ahead of time when he knew he couldn't choose in the moment. And that discipline is wise. And we're going to try to learn to do that when it comes to technology. He, you know, a man needs to know his limitations, and Odysseus knew his. Because technology makes a great servant, but it is a ruthless master. Technology has the power to bewitch us, and the people behind technology, they are intentionally making it addictive. They're doing this on purpose. So we have to change what we practice because what we practice, we become. What we eat, we crave. 
And so some of the biggest decisions you're going to make in your life are not about big decisions so much as, as they are decisions to change your routine. The power that technology has on us is a threat to our humanness. I'll show you that in just a, as we go through. But, but last week we looked at what technology is doing as there was a kind of a two-point application last week or, or outline. It was technology quite often isolates us from ourselves and from God. Technology has the ability to isolate us from ourselves and from God. And we saw that the antidote for that, the antidote for, for that isolation was solitude and quiet and silence. And so we kind of joined together in a church thing where we're doing a 30-day challenge or so, getting us up to that first week of our celebration is 50 years in a church, right? October 20th, between now and then, at least once, maybe twice a day, we're going to experience some kind of solitude, quiet, and silence. Because those three, those three disciplines, they, they are good for your soul, but they're also the slayers of, of the power of the siren's call. We make powerful choices. And the powerful choices we make, the ones that actually alter our lives for real, are not usually the big ones. It's the ones that we change our practice and we change our patterns. Because, you know, what you practice, you become. So what we're going to choose to this time, right, we're going to be looking at the idea of not isolation from God or ourselves, but, but this time we're going to look at how we connect with other people, technology and connecting with other people. And we need to choose ahead of time what we're going to do so that we can be better at connecting with other people. So I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally loaded this sermon up. There's probably five sermons in here. There's at least two doctoral dissertations. You can come back and watch the sermon again and read the transcript once it gets published and the links and references will be used in the manuscript so that I won't have to refer to them throughout this time. It'll save us some time. But first, technology defined. Let me explain what technology is in the conversation that we're having because it's easy for us to think, you know, our phones, our laptops, the internet, it's way more than that. It is, it is some of the better work is by Borgman and he wrote his material in the 80s. 84 is when he wrote his book. And so we're talking before the internet and before the cell phones and those sorts of things. Technology has these two giant ambitions, right, that we should be concerned about. And, And one of them is easy everywhere. Do you have a problem with something? Technology can help you with that. Is that a hard task for you to do? Technology can help with that task. That's one thing, easy everywhere. And the other ambition it has is always happy always happy, never bored, never lonely. And so with these two big ambitions, look, I'll put them on the screen. This is technology. Technology defines always happy, easy everywhere. Let's just say those bottom two sentences together. Always happy, easy everywhere. That's the problem. Those two phrases, always happy, Easy everywhere is the reason we have difficulty connecting with one another. One of the pri- these are the primary reasons. These are, these are why we say we're so lonely, especially today. This is these, th- these ambitions that technology have, they kind of they cause difficulty in our hope to become like Christ in all of life for the glory of God. And the, the whole idea of loneliness, right? You've probably heard, right, lo- the loneliness epidemic. That's a phrase now. 
And, and there's a pervasive melancholy. It's as though a fog bank has, has, has kind of rolled in and it won't leave. And it seems the younger you are, the denser the fog. In a recent study, half of Canadians that were interviewed said they quite often feel extremely lonely, feel alone. Americans have changed in the, since 1985. The number of people that have said, I have no one to confide in, has tripled. I have no one to confide in, Americans, that, that phrase has tripled since 1985. Loneliness, uh, doctors have said, is, is more harmful to our condition than even obesity. One researcher said, he, said, he just backed into this, he said, the human brain is a social organ. Isn't that interesting? The human brain is a social organ. So here's some of the things that I want to propose to you. Is it really an epidemic? Has technology done some things that have caused loneliness to expand? Or have we just lost the capacity or the endurance to be alone? Right. Has loneliness changed, or in other words, has loneliness changed, or has our response to loneliness changed? And so when we have this commitment that, that technology have, you know, always happy, here's, here's two ways Always happy is showing up in our souls in the context of, of loneliness. One is expectations. Expectations. Here's a great book. Doesn't, you're going to want to run and buy this one. Here, listen to the title. Bored, Lonely, Angry, Stupid? <laughs> Changing Feelings About Technology from the Telegraph to Twitter. And in this book, and so, two scholars did a significant amount of research on this loneliness epidemic. And what, happened, what they found is that technology has raised hopes of connectivity to levels that they haven't seen before. And because people's hopes aren't being realized, they have like a paranoia that they are alone. And maybe they're the only ones feeling this. And therefore, it shows up in counselor's office. What they did for their study I thought was fascinating is they studied uh, memoirs and diaries and letters back and forth in the 19th century and in the 20th century and compared those to modern-day diaries and memoirs and correspondence, right? And what they found was this, that modern people today, people of the 21st century, they were surprised whenever they felt lonesome. They didn't expect that to happen, and so they worried about it. And the worry, that became a pathology. That's when it became an illness, when they looked at the, the letters and the memoirs from the 19th and 20th century, the word aloneness or lonesome was the word. It was used just as regularly, but here was, here was the difference. They weren't surprised. Junior high, high school, young adults, all the way, the whole gamut. If you could write, they studied it, and they found that people were just as lonely, but they weren't surprised at their loneliness. And so what these scholars deduced was it's this always happy that's putting, putting out this expectation that can't be realized. Always happy, all the time. In, in one book called uh, The Happy Brain, this scholar wrote, the brain loves to be happy, but it can't endure perpetual happiness. The expectation of always happy, the brain can't do it. And one way the brain rests from happiness is to be lonely. 
It's just taking a breather. It's sitting in the bleachers for a while to cool off a little bit. And when that happens in the 19th and 20th century, that was okay. And now in the 21st, we panic. We don't know what's happened to us. That's one. Expectations have changed. And second is the absence of God. Before, in the 19th and 20th century, in these diaries, in these letters, you'd see someone write, I am so desperately alone. I just want one friend. Pause. But I know God is with me. And I know I need, something, I need to work on my own character. Many of the, many of the diaries re, re, respond, just, just followed right along with, God is with me, and I probably need to be learning something from this. And now in the modern world, with our atheism, oh, there's no God, and so we are alone. We are profoundly alone. So those two issues in the always happy have escalated our expectations. And so while the older generations in the 19th and 20th century, they could sit alone and they could expect that as a regular part of life and they could maybe grow from that and learn from that. Now, we feel mildly lonely, a little bit bored. We start scrolling. We start trying to connect with others. And what do we find? That we're failures, that we're inferior that we're excluded, that we're missing out, and there it goes, deeper sorrow still. That's what's happened. That's how technology does that now. And that's, again, I want to tell you, I believe this is a spiritual war that's going on because there's a lot to this and its effect on us. The second ambition for technology, if you remember, was everything easy everywhere, easy everywhere. And again, this, a lot of this we're going to look at right now is from Borgman's work in a book that he published in 84, which means it's, just, it's, it's, it's not about the Internet or technology that we say modern technology. It's, it's, just a, it's, about, it's about dishwashers and washing machines and automobiles, those sorts of things. And I've got a little board here to help us understand, uh, you know, kind of what that looks like. He talked about it, what, what he called a device paradigm. And when we talk about, he's talking about a device versus an instrument. This is a happy face and a sad face, right, over a period of time. When you buy a device, and let's just use, like, right, well, I don't know if you've heard the band, but I, every time I hear my, man, I'd love to be a musician. I wish I could play something like that. I really love music. And you go, yeah, well, there's a reason why I don't play a musical instrument, and I'll tell you why right now. In the device paradigm, okay, if I want to hear music, I just, back in the day, I bought an album. Or I bought a record player, right? And then it was fun when I bought it, right? And then I'm buying a bunch of albums, and I love that album, but then I don't like the album so much. And then I bought another album, and then I don't like it so much. And then I bought that Eagles album, and that, and that thing is gone. I love that one. And then, I, and then I bought a tape player, you know, cassette player, and then I bought an album, and then I bought another album. And then I bought a, 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 a what do you call it, a, uh, CD player, what do you call it? Disc man. I bought a disc man, right? And then I bought a bunch of other albums like this, right? And I keep going down. Then I bought an iPod, and then right. And so this is this is great. I'm getting a lot of music, but you need to understand they're in this in, in this model here. And some of these, I hate these songs now. Here's the issue, though. This is easy. I can do music. All I have to do is just push play. I don't need any help from anyone. I, I, I can just keep doing it forever in isolation. It's, it's instant gratitude 
And it's absolutely, it's, it's almost instant obsolescence, right? I mean, no sooner did the record player. Actually, I come over here, I buy another record player. That's the cool thing now, right? So, so, so I buy a record player and, oh, man, I want that tape player. Oh, I want that iPod. It's like the obsolescence. And some of this is driven by money because this is how our economy runs. So there's some insidious things going on here. I'm telling you, not just that, not just how fast and easy and isolating it is, but there's money to be involved in that. So he called that the device paradigm. Paradigm is a word that means worldview. It's the way I see everything, and this is why this is very important. The instrument paradigm that he talks about, the instrument paradigm, is when you, like, actually learn to play an instrument, like, I don't know, the violin or today, the mandolin. So when you start learning to play the mandolin, it starts down here. You're in the pain threshold early on. Okay? If nothing else, it costs a lot of money, but, but hell is learning to play the violin or maybe your child learning to play the violin. <laughs> right? And so it kind, you kind of get better here over time. Right? You're starting to get a little better here, and then you're still not even breaking even. In this scenario, and you're trying and trying, you're watching YouTube videos, you're doing whatever you can do. But here's the problem with this this instrument paradigm. From here to here, okay, there's kind of a no man's land because you can't get any better because it's an instrument. And here's the thing, it requires skill. And again, you can look at it like the difference between in carpentry, where guys just used to use hammers, and now they use nail guns. Not as much skill required. Uh, They used to use the handsaw. Now they have a laser-guided, you know, miter saw. I can do that even. That's an instrument versus, I mean, it's it's various instruments in degrees. But look, I just want to push play. This is requiring discipline and frustration and skill. And then in here... The reason people quit instruments and all kinds of instruments is because it hurts and it's painful and it's failure. And the way people get to break even is they need coach and community. They need someone to tell them the truth. No, you're not that good. No, you missed that note. No, you aren't swinging that right. And then community, people to do it with. And with coaching and community, you can get to break even. Okay, it starts down here. You get to break even, and then watch what happens. After that, usually it goes up really high. Watch this. This, this model, device paradigm, it goes down each time. If you can hang in there with the, with the instrument paradigm, it's hard at the beginning and then goes up and then keeps going up. But you're having, you're having to work for that, and you're having to share in that. Right, and so uh, the reason the reason uh, uh, continue uh, online education, Harvard, MIT put truckloads of money into that, and they thought they could educate, but it didn't work out very well because they stalled right here, and they realized even flipping the class, if you know what that means, even that wasn't working because they needed they needed coaching and community, and that didn't work. Uh, So other expressions of that were. it's kind of funny. Silent meditation. You'd think that would, I mean, you don't say anything in silent meditation. But if you can get six people in a room together and they don't talk, it's more likely to, for you to get to the point where you're breaking even. And after you break even, where you're starting to like it more, you're liking it a lot. Here's a pretty clear application of this. Gyms. 
gymnasiums, okay, uh, the, the big ones, they want you to sign up but never show up. Okay, that's how they make their money. And, 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 and nobody, I mean, they make money, but people don't get in shape because getting in shape right here, it starts off, you know, you pay a lot of money up front, and then you stall right here. And some gyms like Soul Cycle and Orange Theory and Camp Gladiator and uh, CrossFit, they have figured out if they can step in here and start having a community experience and good coaching to keep you healthy during the gym experience, they can get you to break even. And after break even, you're going to have a lifestyle of fitness. And it's working. Look, look at it. Over here, the future over here is, is the matrix where a guy sticks something in the back of my head and I go, I know jujitsu, right? But I, but I didn't get to experience getting choked out and arm barring other people. And that's a lot of fun. And and I, I, I have a community and I have a coach that I thoroughly enjoy because of this instrument paradigm. And one of the reasons this isn't real popular right now is you put up a lot of money up front. You buy that vi- violin or that mandolin and all of this right now, that's just coaching. That's not new stuff. You might get a new one up here, a more expensive one because it, it's worth it. I'm, I want you, what I want you to see is, I want you to see these paradigms, these graphs here, because they are so powerful. And here's, here's kind of the big, the big point here, right? Is everything you want really in life as a human soul is here on this chart. Things that are worth having, you're going to have to work through. And to work through that, you're going to need a coach and community, Everything you want, okay? You're going to have um, the, the, the device paradigm isolates and makes you lonely, right? And, and here's, here's why people are lonely right now. Because this model here, we're using this. It's called a paradigm. This paradigm, this worldview, you were using it for relationships and romance. Things that are sacred, we're making them commodities, Oh, this thing, this friendship thing didn't work out. How come? Well, I don't know. She was late three times in a row. I'm done. I'll get a new one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Buy a new album. Get a new iPod or whatever. And we're trading the sacred things in for a a commodity, something to be thrown away as though they're expendable. The church, people look at churches this way. Yeah. You know, music was too loud. It wasn't loud enough. It was was too cold. It was too hot. It was like, yeah, it was too far to get to. Okay. Okay. We'll get you something else. Okay. Just, Just... the bride of Christ, whatever. Because everything you want over here. Marriage. This is marriage. Oh, yeah. That first year. Whew. Okay, the honeymoon's over, and then you just kind of plow through, and then difficult times, you know, after the first year is really rough. But if you can get coaching and community, our whole church is built on it. You know why? Because if we can get you to break even, you're going to love this married thing. Okay, there's two types of empty nesters, happy and miserable. It just gets better if you do this part right. Marriage, relationships. You become like Christ in all of life. Jesus never promised us an easy deal. He says, I'm your king. It's a sold-out deal. There's, almost, there's no such thing except lordship, and lordship means you sit down here, and, you're, and you're, in the early days you're moping around, well, look at all I've given up and stuff. And then you, a lot of people plateau right here in the adolescent years, not adolescent like 
numbers, but like in the in-between time, and they need coaching and they need community. If they can get community and coaching, they can get to break even. Well, it's about the same as when I didn't have Jesus, and then after that, it goes crazy great. And that's why you'll meet an 80-year-old saint, and they're still loving life and the Lord more than they did when they started. Because this is the paradigm, the instrument paradigm, that's real life. Everything you want is on this side. This paradigm for the device, that's great. I'm glad. I mean, it makes for great medicine, right? And I love getting around in a really cool car that's air-conditioned and has a sunroof. Right? I love that. But here's the thing. The purpose of family, that's why the book is about household. The purpose of family and household is to teach this instrument model. Okay? It is in the family, like in, in the book, The Soul of Shame, the purpose of family is when you are born, you are born looking for someone looking for you. And you're looking at your parents, and in the context of family, you learn about sin and forgiveness. You learn about shame and restoration. All that's happening in a real-life example of plowing through the difficult times. I could show you year by year what this looks like with ad- newborns and adolescents and those th- sorts of things. The, the purpose of family is to see the face, to make contact, to see the face. Number one survey question that was answered by elementary, junior high, and high school students. One question, what would you like changed most about technology? They said, I wish my parents would put their cell phones down. And us parents, we think, oh, those kids and their cell phones. Well, they've got something to say to us. They want us to see their face, even the teenagers, when they look away. (laughs) They want us to see their face. Where does this happen, this face seeing? Where does this happen where we're giving forgiveness and granting honor? It happens in, in, in the instruments of life. In the old days, when you didn't have central heating, it was when everyone was tending the fireplace, and there was a central place, you know, in the living room where the fire was. It is when, uh, when, when everyone, when the, it was, that's the way it did, when the women cooked, they cooked together. And when the men worked the field, they worked with their boys, and they worked together. It was in this context of being coached in community that lives were changed. And so, so sometimes, again, Borgman's deal is, is, is when, we take, when we take the device model, doing the dishes now is just pushing a button, and that's it. I'm not against that. I'm just saying we've lost an opportunity to have conversations that, that used to happen naturally. That's the point. So here's our 30-day challenge. I need to hurry. I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Here's the 30-day challenge. Sure, we're going to do solitude, quiet, and silence. You bet. But I want you to, I want you to see the power of our choices that we're making. And, the, and these powers, the, the choices that we make, not the big ones. You know, I'm going to do like just the power of disciplines, of changing our patterns. What you practice, you become. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 14, a prudent man gives thoughts to his steps. That's a different proverb, but it's a synonym, right? Gives prudence to his steps. Steps. He, I want you to see and hear the siren's call. The siren's call is this. Always happy, easy everywhere. Always happy, easy everywhere. That's keeping you from connecting to the people you love. That's it right there. And so I would suggest these are kind of weird applications, but watch this. One, join a learning, living community where you learn, not device, but you learn instrument. Learn 
I don't know how to tune a car. Learn, learn auto mechanics or auto maintenance. And if you're really good at that, join a group and teach it. Learn a language. Learn how to sew clothes. If you're really good, think about this paradigm when you're learning to sew clothes. I'm, believe it or not, I'm learning how to sew clothes. And I hit, all, I hit the max at YouTube videos. And I have to step up. I looked into stepping up and joining a coach in a community. And I'm not going to. So <laughs> I have my reasons. But, but I'm never, I'm never going to get up here. You learn to play an instrument, literally a mandolin. Learn a new sport where you can learn or teach in a community, right? Learn to cook. There's a, there's a, a pretty good book. I haven't read it completely, so I'm not entirely recommending it, but I love the title, and I love everything I've read about it right here. Shop class is soul craft. And this writer here, Matthew Crawford, he just keeps writing about we've got to learn to use our hands because it's, it's good for our souls, and just, and just typing and just reading is not doing it anymore. And, again, about humanness and soul health. And he's written some other books with this in mind. But the, the point he's saying is, like, don't, here's my point, don't fear the stall that happens here. Understand the reason you can't grow in something that's difficult, okay, is because you need coaching and community. And that's where you're going to learn relational skills, that's where you're going to learn to forgive. That's where you're going to learn to overcome shame. It's in that context with good coaching and good community that you get to the break even and then you start, then you loop back around and start helping others. It's magic. Okay? What you need to fear is this. Is every t- easy, every, everything easy. Easy everything and, and, and always happy. That's what you fear. That laziness of the soul. So, in this context, the second one would be don't, don't let technology steal household. Don't let technology steal household. And what I mean by that is, like, take, take an opportunity to, if, you, if you're in a family with children, right, like, enjoy the purpose of doing the dishes or cooking the food or, or yard work or, or some kind of maintenance or something. Don't make it into a chore. Make it in, like, act like you were living in the 17, 18, 1900s or something and say, hey, we do this together. If you own a ski boat, make your kids be part of the maintenance part of that, in other words. And in the context of that, you're connecting and you're coaching and here's how you live life. And this is what it's like. One of the examples that we heard in class, a guy said, he said, whenever we have friends over now, we make them help us cook. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. Because you walk in, every time you go somewhere to, you know, you go to a friend's, hey, is there anything I can do? And they say, no. Or sometimes they just order out, right? It's coming. <laughs> and this guy said, you know what? Let's stop doing that. Anything I can do? Yeah. You can peel those carrots over there. And you can get on those potatoes. And then we're, we're going to make some ice cream over here. And what happened is everybody ends up in the kitchen Learning, coaching, and community. And it makes for a much better dinner conversation because we kind of worked on it together. A fire pit. Why are fire pits fun all of a sudden? And how come the ones where you just turn on don't seem to have the same punch? Because there's something about working the fire pit. It's not caveman stuff. It's, it's this idea of instrument, and everything's too easy, and fires shouldn't be easy, you know? Anyway, you get the idea. It's you're looking at these and you're, you're, you're only using this when you have to and you're seizing this moment, especially in relationships. And third, I'm just saying this because it is technology. We just stop keeping up with the news. How about that part of our 30-day challenge? Between now and the truth, yes, clap for that. You know what? Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. 
You know, just turn it off. Between now and October 20th, technology, it has the potential to make our lives easier to help us connect. But we're not, we're, friends, it's a siren. And it's calling us. And so many people in the church are losing the moments that became hours, that become days, weeks, a life. There's a spiritual war going on here. It's layers deep. I don't have time for this. There's a lot more to what's motivating this behind the scenes, and it's spiritual. It has to do with this money thing. Our economy is built on ravaging our souls. The glory of God is man fully alive, not lazy and just listening. Just push play. Your life is only going to have one regret. Don't regret that. Live as a saint. You are in charge. You're the boss of this. Technology serves you. You don't serve technology in every context of that. And if you do that, Right In this discipline, the 30 days, you're going to get stronger every day when you tell technology to sit in the back and shut up. And that's a cuss word in our family, so I, I know I'm using that kind of word on purpose. But I, it's, it stays where it belongs. That's my hope for this church is we see that our goals of becoming like Christ in all of life and presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice can be realized when we let when we let the power of the Spirit overpower our addiction to technology. Would you join me in that? Let's pray. Yeah, thank you. Let's pray. We're going to have some communion. We'll seal this with a communion deal. How about that? Lord Jesus, we, are, we have slipped like a frog in a kettle, and we're getting boiled alive here. And I'd, Lord, I'd ask that you would make us aware and know that there is a spiritual war going on, and it's way more subtle than we had imagined. So, Lord, I'd ask that you'd open our eyes to that, that we might be good friends, good lovers, good parents, and responsible for the moment-by-moment freedom that we have to express that you are our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.